the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do we have Josh? God. George Brockler, 710 KNUS. Kelly and I are going to get this dance down. It just has to be just a hair of a warning about to go hot or something. I don't know what it is, but... Here we are hot. Yeah, it's, it's our two of four here at 710 KNUS on a very cold, but certainly uh, capable of taking your kids to school if they hadn't shut down the planet Earth here on a Tuesday on the back half of January of 2024. On the line with us right now, he's a VIP. We'd love to have this guy on. He can hit from uh, really all parts of the plate to all parts of the field. His name is Josh Scharf. He's with the Independence Institute. Josh, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, good morning, George. And Happy yeah, New Year. For some reason, we for some reason we've turned into I don't know Atlanta or something when snow is involved. What is incredibly what, what, weak. What is Kelly that? and I were just talking about that in the last hour. Just incredibly weak. Like what? Like it, uh, there's an icicle. We can't go to school. I, I don't know where you grew up, Josh. Have you told us that before? Yeah, I grew up in Northern Virginia, and we would get occasional really, really bad snows. But I mean, we got snow. You know, but but when we when we got when we got you know three feet of snow, things shut down. But they but but uh, this is I mean I, I was I moved out here in '97. I always figured you know Denver knew how to handle snow. Well, that's true. We did. We and we do. But somehow, and I'm, and I think you probably recognize this demographically. Like 50% or something of people that live in Colorado today came here from somewhere else, like in their lifetime, right? Like I was two when we moved out here, so I've been here for, you know, the other 37 years. But um, everybody else has come out here during – and so I just presume they brought with them whatever weak-ass stuff that they had where they were from, where if it snowed anywhere, the whole planet shut down. Whereas when I grew up – and Kelly Kelly grew up in Michigan, we were talking about the fact that – Snow was just baked into the thing, man. Like if there was any chance at all you could trudge through the snow to school, you trudged through the snow to school. I mean, there, there were just they didn't just shut down the school. It had to be something catastrophic, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, a couple hours late, I understand if there's a snow, you know, snow clearing that needs to be done, or if they're worried about that, I get. But you know, I mean, it, it, this seems like it's just cold. You know, there's a little snow on the ground, and it's just cold. And by the way, this afternoon it's going to get into the 30s. So I, I this this to me, I don't I don't understand why they're doing it here. The beneficiaries of this are the ski resorts, right? Like it's not too cold to ski, <laughs> but I mean, well, people are I, out there flinging themselves down the hill at you know 30 miles an hour in powder, and we're down here where there isn't even powder, and we're like, well, we better not send the kids. What if they get a runny nose? Yeah, I don't I don't understand the decision. I really don't understand the decision, but you know. There we go. Maybe Josh, uh, not much going on in the world, so I thought I would go through a checklist of things here. Something that you and I had talked about frequently when you were on before, but it sort of weirdly hit the back burner in terms of coverage because of all the other things happening here and abroad is a, a place called Ukraine. Is it over yet? Like, what happened? Does that still exist? 
Yeah, no, there's a um, uh, there's been kind of well, you know, the Ukrainian counteroffensive didn't didn't quite go the way people expected, uh, or at least didn't go the way the Ukrainians expected, and so part of that was so it looks like stalemate, um, but in the meantime, there's actually a lot going on. This is one of those you know one of those things where sort of gearing up for the next round or gearing up positioning. Everybody is still is still fighting and there it appears that the next move is probably Russia's Russia is able to has I wouldn't say by any stretch have solved their manpower problems but they're able to rotate in and rotate out people uh, and they're they're able to sort of bring in replacements which is which is important in a in a in a, in a sort of heavily uh, heavily mechanized, heavily infantry warfare, uh, and then uh, Ukraine. Honestly, um, you know, over time, this this is to their disadvantage uh, because the, the 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 age of their troops is starting to creep up as some of the younger as the younger guys who were there initially uh, have been have been killed or injured, and 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 they're having a difficult time getting getting replacements for them. So that's that's a that's a problem. Uh, Russia and our friend Iran uh, are uh, <laughs> yeah. now are growing closer, and Iran is is you know beginning to to give them more uh, in the way or sell them, I suppose, more in the way of uh, um, uh, drones and 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 sort of and, and missiles that that they can use. Uh, you'll probably start to see more of that coming out of Russia uh, to try to try to beat down the Ukrainians. I saw something where it looks like Zelensky had reached out to Switzerland or something to talk about, hey, can you guys gin up some sort of a a, a format or a structure for peace? What was that about? That I didn't see. Yeah, this was uh, on, I want to say, Drudgish or something like that, maybe? Well, Off the there press. Was some, I, didn't, I, I, did, I honestly didn't see that. I've been sort of absorbed with other world events, um, but I didn't I didn't see that. Listen, I mean, it's it's possible that at this point, uh, you know, Russia. If if Ukraine does that, Russia may sense weakness. You know, I don't know that they have an incentive to stop fighting until they've got what they want. Uh, and so, this uh, you know this this could be a very dangerous phase for Ukraine. One of the problems that you see as well is uh, our sort of seeming. I mean, we've got a you know, it's exactly fifty fifty, but you know, the Senate requires a little more consensus than the House does, and the House is essentially 50-50, except for a couple of seats. So they're having a hard time getting a bill passed that deals both with Ukraine and with the border issues. And, of course, it, then, then, then it becomes political where the Democrats say, well, the Republicans, you know, to them, the border is more important than Ukraine. And the Republicans say, well, to them, to the Democrats, the, uh, <laughs> you know, Ukraine is more important than the border. And so, uh, you know, there was a time when both sides would have been happy to get what they wanted for the things they wanted and 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 then you know move on to the next item of business but the negotiations apparently are are you know a little more contentious because nobody wants to give the other side a win so that's that's not uh that's not how things are supposed to function but here we are before I ask you about the uh, the mess over in the Middle East and perhaps even what Xi Jinping is going through with his own military, when you hear President Trump say, or former President Trump, who may very well be our next president based on how things are going, 
when he says, look, I'm going to end the Ukraine war here on day one. I'm going to get this. Any idea what the hell he's talking about? No. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just <laughs> don't. I, I, you know, I really, I, listen, I, you know, there, it is entirely possible that had Trump been reelected, uh, Russia wouldn't have gone in, that there would have been, you know, the, the, the things would have been I totally get that. somewhat different. But, you know, that's different from putting an end to a war once it started. And I don't, I don't know whether he means cutting off aid to Ukraine and telling them, listen, reach a deal, if such a thing is possible. I don't know if if he means threatening Putin. I mean, I, I, I have no idea what's going on in his head with regard to this. Um, because he said he has said various things at various times. Um, and I don't I don't know what he means. So Dude also said, by the way, in, in another setting. Sorry, Josh. I was just going to say he also said in another setting that, hey, what if uh, Lincoln could have negotiated an end to the Civil War or the end of slavery? And I thought, what? <laughs> yeah, right. Didn't we the try that for like 70 years? Ripping the country apart since like 1820. Uh, he uh, all of it. Yeah, Lincoln could have just you know, negotiated something. I mean, that the, the the listen, I mean, nobody ever, you know, for all of Trump's merits and and he had he certainly listen. I mean, I, I, you know, his his administration, aside from, you know, aside from the sort of distracted mess that it was in so many ways. Yeah. Um, uh, did you know? Did, did uh, handle a lot of things well, and he, you know, I take it, it over what we have right now every day. And so I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, this is, but, but nobody ever accused him of, of having deep, uh, you know, deep and subtle historical knowledge. So, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, can we talk a little bit about what's going on in uh, between Israel and Hamas? as well as the Houthis continuing to harass the hell out of shipping, including our ships out there in the Red Sea. Are you tracking that? I am. And there's a real, there's a real risk here, sort of, if we step back for a moment, we have um, sort of visit each of, the, each of the fronts, if you will. Um, in the north, Hezbollah, you know, sort of asking to, is asking to, to, uh, to, you know, to get its butt kicked uh, the way that it's behaving. And I think it's sort of, Threaten basically, you know, threatening Israel. You know, come after us, and Israel would like to do that, um, but apparently, it's giving signals from the administration that that would be from from the Biden administration that would be a bad idea. Um, as we talked about before, you know, Israel kind of expected something to happen. They just expected it more to happen from the north than from Gaza, and so they've got a plan for dealing with Hezbollah, but they they they've not been able to execute it in part because they've been occupied with Gaza, and in part because. Uh, um, because the administration really doesn't want to risk uh, a wider war, which is liable to get anyway, uh, if it if it continues this this appeasement policy, the um, or it could just be brinksmanship and a means of getting the U.S. out of the region, which I think. Well, is tell tell me, about. hold on, tell me about the um, appeasement policy that you think that is is um, priming the pump for for an expansion of this thing. Well, I mean, I think if you if you don't, uh, it doesn't have to happen today. But if you don't if you don't keep deterrence in, deterrence in place, you're basically signaling your enemy that uh, that they can try more, and so you're liable to get a you're liable to get a more aggressive Hezbollah and a more aggressive you know the, the Houthis themselves aren't much, but you know the Iran the Iranians give them give them all sorts of things and show them how to use them, uh, and so they um, uh, you know they, they they could they could extend that. Uh, there's 
So those are the two. Those are the two sort of immediate fronts, if you will, where where Iran could 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 extend this thing. And and if you don't keep and along with the fact that our troops get keep, keep getting targeted in in Iraq and Syria by Iranian militias or Iranian uh, Iranian backed militias or Iranian backed allies, uh, they keep shooting at our guys. And so far, they've managed you know, they haven't managed to kill anyone, thank God. But it's. Uh, uh, but the the intent is clear, is to make it uncomfortable for us to stay there, especially at a time when I think most Americans don't really understand why we're still in Iraq and Syria, why we still have people there. So, you know, unless you unless you reestablish the idea that it is dangerous to go after Americans, uh, they'll go after Americans, and they'll and 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 so we're liable to end up with something wider, uh, eventually, if not today. Um, so there's that. In the south, of course, we see, like you say, the Houthis have basically managed to shut down the Suez Canal, taking wow. us back to the to the 1850s. All of wow. that shipping is going around the uh, is going around Cape the, of Good the, Hope. Of good, good Hope now, yeah, and that's going to you know just when you thought it was safe to go back to the supply chain, you know, all of a sudden everything is oh, getting yeah. uh, is, you know is going to is going to get rewritten. Tesla, as an example. Uh, is, is saying that it's having uh, having a hard time, and other companies too, having a hard time uh, with their, especially their European production, uh, because of you know because stuff is now going to take that much longer. Especially that one until you reestablish the continuity, uh, and of course it raises prices. That's a, that's an additional stress on uh, on the economy, and it create and it means that. Uh, You've now got, you know, instead of having an alternative of going around this good hope, you now have a vulnerability there. You know, although it doesn't, you know, nobody's nobody's targeting targeting ships out of South Africa, but it does it does create a, a you know a choke point there and and a risk for for who knows what behavior by whom. Um, you got that, and the U.S. has I think responded fairly weakly to 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 the Houthis. Uh, Why is that? They, well, I think part of it, part of it was a real desire to put together to, a real, well, a real desire to put together a, a not you know that's not just us doing everything. Uh, I think there was an expectation that, that the rest of the world, realizing that free shipping and freedom of the seas was kind of the basis of world prosperity, you know, that uh, that they would come in and, and you know help us out on this one. And as usual, it's just us and the British. And so there's, there, there was some support activity by some other by some other countries, but basically it was you know the U.S. and the British going after them. And I think there's been a reluctance again. I think there's this fear that if we hit them too hard, uh, that it could that it could turn into something wider. Remember, we had two carrier groups there. We pulled one back. I think I think it's the Ford is coming back to to Norfolk, um, and then the uh, uh, and and. I also think that um, there was a sense. Listen, I mean, we have in Afghanistan, uh, if you remember, you know, there's this sense. Well, what do we hit? You know, this it's this widely dispersed. What, what do you, what do you go after? Well, the Houthis kind of have the same, kind of the same problem. They we're not going to occupy Yemen. We have to hit targets. We have to hit, you know, we have to hit launchers. We have to hit missile depots and so forth. And that's what we tried to do. But the fact that we telegraphed a punch for a month. We gave them a chance, maybe, to, to move stuff around. So uh, it's 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 a harder target than people think. Um, and then there's Gaza itself, where now you're starting to see. Unfortunately, uh, the Wall Street Journal talks a little bit about this. 
um, this morning some friction within the Israeli war cabinet about the priority of destroying Hamas versus uh, versus the hostages. And I've always I've always felt interesting that yeah it's a real problem because you know when you have a essentially a humane society as opposed to a um, you know a barbaric leadership like Hamas. Uh, you're gonna. There's gonna be this desire to bring home people who might still be alive. Right. Uh, right. And 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 the reports that Sinwar is is kind of using the hostages as kind of a kind of a Praetorian guard uh, that he's got himself surrounded with these guys, so that if if uh, if he were hit, then it would take out maybe a couple of dozen of of, of, of innocent Israelis. Makes it very difficult. It makes makes the process more difficult going after him. And the tra- the transition from the kind of high intensity heavy bombing campaign that you saw early on to something that's lower intensity but but needs to go on for a longer time to really root out Hamas creates this this tension between uh, you know in terms of priorities uh, so uh, you know and 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 a bad word for Netanyahu too he does not appear to have wanted to put together a plan for the next day, as they say, the day after really? uh, this thing ends. He 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 does not appear to have wanted to do that. Others others have have tried to put stuff together, and so it's not like there's a complete vacuum. But you right. know, he appears to be very interested in holding on to power, and less interested in in, uh, in what. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a it's a problem, um, and it's going to re if if it continues, it's going to. Uh, liable to reactivate a lot of the fissures, not probably not with the same intensity, but a lot of the the, the fissures in, in Israeli society that that had sort of seemingly plagued the country before this happened. Um, I think there's a point where where he's uh, people understand that he has to go, but there's no mechanism for anyone in this. There's no incentive for anyone in the coalition to vote against him because then well, there's something too. I read that that he and he and Biden haven't spoken in weeks. That can't be good. Well, that's probably well. That's that's the you know that that's a problem. I mean, he's never gotten along with Biden. He's never gotten along with the with the Amer- you know the American left has always has always hated him, and I think he sort of feels like he can ride this out as well as he has ridden out so much other friction with American administrations. Uh, I, I, I will I, I will suggest this. It is probably more important. I think Caroline Glick has written this, and and she's right. It is more important to win than it is, in the short run, anyway, to maintain U.S. support. Now, the question is, to what degree are those mutually exclusive? Well, that I mean, so it, you it, bring it up is, a great point, Josh. Listen, it, you've seen the march on Washington, where there was a bunch of people at the White House that tried to J six their way through the fencing around there. Do you, did you see that? Of course, yes, I'm did. sure all of them were sent home with a hug and a sandwich, as opposed to being arrested and stuff. But um, this growing ceasefire nonsense, and I say nonsense because I think it is absolutely ignorant of what is going on over in Israel. And you don't, if your neighbor comes over to your house and cuts the head off of your kid, you don't then say, how can we continue to coexist? You say, you got to go, right? Like there's, there is no negotiation with someone who will behead a baby. That's just end of, end of existence here. But this growing ceasefire thing, how long can Biden, while he seemingly dithers in the polls 
and uh, continues to feel like he's just going to campaign against the democracy, destroying Trump as if that's going to win. How long can he withstand this push on the left for a ceasefire before it manifests itself in something over there with our support for Israel? Mm, all the way up until, uh, you know, votes get baked in in Michigan. Uh, I think I think a great deal. Honestly, I think I think that's a pivot point for a lot of what's going on here, that he would love to be able to continue you know, supporting this, um, but not if it's going to cost him Michigan. So, uh, you know, it's a uh, um, that's a that's a real problem. Uh, and, and I think he and, and uh, uh, he's, he's definitely worried about reelection in that sense. Um, now, does you know, does does it I think I think part of the advice to move to something lower intensity comes from a desire to let Israel do what it can do um, without, uh, you know, and, and, so, and then maybe bring this back from the front pages a little bit. I don't think he's going to, I don't think, I don't think Iran is going to give him that, uh, is going to give him that, 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 uh, that gift. I think they're going to continue to kind of keep things, boiling uh and they certainly would love nothing more than to you know kill a couple of american soldiers and force the u.s to make a uh an, an equally disorganized retreat like the one we made out of afghanistan i just think that there's there's there, there's stuff working against him here if he wants to if he wants to and and also again like i say um you know the the internal israeli politics being what they are aside from netanyahu as this thing drags on uh, even even as Israeli, Israel sees success on the ground, uh, it 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 becomes more difficult. You know, it becomes more di- old old polit- political rivalries. You know, begin to resurface. It begins to to become more difficult to to uh, uh, to keep focus. And so, uh, you know, that's that's a um, uh, that's not necessarily Biden's fault, uh, but it, it it does mean that. You know, time is is not, you know, a lot of time is not necessarily Israel's ally at this point. We're talking with Josh Sharf. You know, Josh, this Real Clear Politics, which if you haven't been out there, folks, go to the realclearpolitics.com website. It, uh, I don't know if it's like a clearinghouse or an amalgamator or whatever, but it takes all these polls that are out there. They do an RCP, Real Clear Politics average, Mm -hmm. and you can kind of see that over a snapshot of time and a bunch of different polling outfits, how things look into Josh's point about things to look for in a change in Biden, perhaps with Israel, is that the RCP average, Josh, for Michigan has Trump up over five points at the moment. And now I know that can change at any time, but um, it looks like other than Emerson, which is the outlier, no poll has him at less than plus five since early October through oh. January the 6th. Okay. So I, I was under the impression that that was just a couple of polls, but it sounds like it's it's a real trend. It looks um, like Detroit yeah. News, Bloomberg, CNN, Epic MRA, New York Times, MRG all have Trump up at least five. Uh, I guess Bloomberg's up four uh, with various polls that range from October 2nd through January the 6th. Only Emerson has Biden up by two. So uh, interesting, very, very interesting. Josh, can you do me a favor? We always love the idea that we're going to fit everything we're going to talk to you about in one <laughs> segment, but I never seem to be able to do that anymore because there's just too much going on. I didn't get a chance to talk to you about G yet, and I do want to ask you about 
uh, the local stuff as well, Iowa, some of what's going on in the state, do you have the ability, uh, even with a young child at home, to be able to hang on through a break and come back and join us? I would be delighted. Thank you. Josh Scharf with the Independence Institute. You can read Josh's stuff. He's got some stuff, I think, on Complete Colorado, uh, page two. We're going to come back and be joined by Josh. I, I don't think I've ever asked if he'd be willing to take questions, but I'm just going to force that on him. If you got questions for him, you can text him in. You can call at 303-696-1971. Before I cut away for a break, though, can I tell you about a couple people that were in my house with my consent uh, that's Brent and Joyce Tolliver. They're the son and mom duo who do roll them out shelves. Now, you've heard me talk about them a ton. First off, they came all the way down from their office in Brighton with their business in Brighton, which is what they do for everybody. I thought it was just me because I was super special and radio guy. Nope, that's just how they do the business. And uh, let's be honest, uh, Joyce is at a place where she's still mom and Brent is still son. So if you're looking for someone to get down on their hands and knees and do all that special digital measuring of the inside of your cabinets to find out how best to make them efficient with the roll them out shelves technology, it's not Joyce. Let's be honest. Joyce is not crop, but Brent is. Joyce, meanwhile, has all these great ideas. If you go to the website at rollemoutshelves.com, you can see a lot of those ideas. You can also see videos of how they do the installation it is the quickest, most professional thing you can possibly imagine to make your cabinetry more usable. And that means it makes your house more efficient and a happier place to be. You're not going to see it on the outside. This isn't like upgrading countertops or cabinets or anything. But this is the guts of your house. This is the part that you know about that you get to have access to all that stuff you otherwise had to crawl around on the floor to get into once a season, once a year. Uh, not so with Brent and Joyce Tolliver. Check them out. Book your free in-home estimate today, 303-475-9601, 303-475-9601 at rollemoutshelves.com. When we come back, Josh Scharf, me, and maybe even you, George Brockler, 710 KNUS. Kelly says your mic is hot, but you are not. I'll take that to heart. It's George Brockler back with you here on the George Show 710 KNUS. Uh, before we get back to our special guest, Josh Scharf, uh, I just want to read one of the texts from this is a this is a reference to the six o'clock hour conversation that we had. But our friend Joan texted in. I remember ice skating on a pond with Laura Ingalls Wilder near. Pil I'm kidding. I made that part up near Pillar of the Fire. During recess, I wanted ice skates. My father got a pair of hockey skates and painted them white. And a boy said to me, I didn't know they made girl hockey skates. <laughs> Thank you, Joan, for that. Someone who wears girls hockey skates in his day life. Uh, Josh Sharp from the Independence Institute. Thanks for sticking with us. I, you know, George, I told you that in, conf in confidence. <laughs> I just figured it was such a thing. You really have confidence in your masculinity. If you can walk around in girl skates, especially with those little white puffy balls on them. I mean, it's just, I, I'm, anyway, I'm impressed. I did not get a chance to ask you about Xi Jinping, China, Taiwan. I've been reading more and more stories. And I should say this as an aside too, folks. Either Josh Scharf is the most well-read person out there on these issues or he is making it all up. But either way, it's great radio. So I've been reading a bunch of stuff, Josh, about Xi and having some internal strife with some Chinese leaders and other what what's going on over there? Yeah, he's um you know, there's there's uh, trouble in paradise. He's got uh, suddenly the economy is not is not going gangbusters the way that it had been. 
And so he's got to deal with, with some discontent on that, on that regard. Because, you know, remember what the deal was. You surrender all of your freedoms and we'll give you peace, prosperity, and stability. And so now, you know, the prosperity part's looking a little dicey, especially, you know, for, for that part of the middle class that, that had counted on continued high growth. So that's, 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 that's a problem for him domestically. The, he's also fired a bunch of military leaders. And there's an, there's a question because, of course, you know, then now it becomes the 21st century equivalent of Kremlinology. You start reading mm. tea leaves and seeing what, what, what's really yeah. going on. And so there's a side that says he's very unhappy with uh, a particular group of leaders who he thinks may be corrupt. There's another, which is entirely possible, there's another, uh, there's another side that says, well, corruption is traditionally what he has used as the excuse to go after political opponents, which is also true. And what he's really doing is getting rid of guys who are not aggressive enough for him. Really? Uh, alternate, alter, yeah. Alternately, people are saying, well, he's getting rid of guys who are too aggressive. Oh. So the, the, yeah. it's there. There are yeah. I mean, there are three. There, there. You know, nobody really knows. The answer is nobody really knows what he's doing, uh, except of course for for Xi himself. Um, what is interesting is what happened with the Taiwan elections over the weekend, where oh, that's for the right. Last eight right. years. Yeah. So there's a three. They have a three-way. Uh, they have basically three major parties over there, and the presidency is elected by popular vote. First past the post, so there's no runoff. You can win with a with a plurality, and the Taiwanese, and it's called the Democratic Party, uh, which has been more, which is more aggressive in wanting to maintain Taiwan's sovereignty and de facto independence, even if not uh, declared independence, won for the third time in a row, uh, defeating the old Kuomintang, which is the uh, the, the, the heirs to Chiang Kai-shek who have been uh, a little softer on that in the last uh, in, the, in the last few cycles and a third party which has focused mostly on domestic issues so as as usual uh, in, in in these kinds of situations the relationship with you know with, with a potential foreign crisis begins to is, is more important and that's what really what the election was largely about the uh, the the incumbent the vice president, won uh, election to the presidency uh, and with more than 40 percent of the vote. So this was if, if it hadn't been. A, yeah, which is pretty substantial. I mean, in a three way race to win that much. That's that's a that's a pretty good showing and, and a pretty solid showing. The party did lose seats in the in the legislature, uh, lost its um, I think it's now no longer the largest party in the in the lower house. But that's less of a foreign policy question. That, that's more domestic stuff. So it won't really affect how it conducts relationships uh, with, with China. And China had really tried hard, mostly through sticks this time, less through carrots, to try to intimidate the Taiwanese people into voting for the KMT. That did Oops. not work, Kuomintang. That did not work. And, and so there's a question as to what options they have. You know, if China is trying to uh, it really is not going. It's certainly not going to accept a formally independent Taiwan. There's a question of what what they'll do, and so suddenly she has got uh, has got problems that he hadn't necessarily counted on. So that's that's uh, you know that's what's going on over there as far as as far as we know. Um, it does begin to affect. <laughs> excuse me. It does begin to affect the rest of 
you know, we, we talk about these areas. We talk about Ukraine and, and then the Middle East. Yeah, and, right, and right. Iran and then and now Taiwan as though they're independent, uh, as though they're independent theaters. And to some degree they are. But we need to remember that this sort of new axis of evil, if you will, this new axis of, of China and Russia, uh, North Korea to some extent, and Iran uh, is, is increasingly stable and increasingly coordinated. Huh. And wow. That's, that's a, yeah, it's a real – now they're not, you know, they're not acting in lockstep. You know, they're not having you know, three-way summit meetings where they lay out thank world strategy and, and so forth. But Pardon? I said thank you for <laughs> saying summit meetings because it could have gotten really awkward there. Well, they, yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they, um, they're not, uh, you know, they're not doing that. But it's a, uh, uh, but they're increasingly coordinating their activities, and I think there's a reason. Listen, there's a reason, for instance, that China is not helping out in the in the Red Sea when they are, in fact, one of the biggest beneficiaries of, of freedom of the seas and 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 and, uh, and open trade. Um, they there's a reason that they're basically lying back and saying, ah, you know, you guys deal with this. And so and it's not just to watch how we operate. It's it's also to uh, it's also because they don't want to be taking shots directly at Iran. So, you know, understand uh, that there's coordination going on there. uh, Yeah, I get that. I get that. I feel like a lot of this is like, how can we keep pulling on the U.S. to get them to spread themselves thinner and thinner in the heat of this ridiculous re-election election thing that we're about to hit into in November, it kind of started officially, I mean, truly officially, yesterday with the very first thing, and that's the big Iowa caucuses for the GOP. Of course, the Dems abandoned Iowa because South Carolina brought Joe Biden his victory a few years ago. What do you make of the results coming out of Iowa? Well, I mean, they were pretty... Those of us who are hoping that DeSantis would, because he, he really put a lot into organization. He sure did. And it was a, and it was a feeling that he had, he had uh, caucus leaders everywhere, which is important. He had like, 1,500 caucus chairmen. There are 1,600 caucus, in theory, caucus, different caucuses, but many of them meet in the same location. So, uh, so he, he was fully staffed out in terms, of, in terms of volunteers, in terms of caucus sites. He's not really going to seriously contest New Hampshire. And I, I think, unfortunately, this just this it looks it looks like you know he um, is well positioned for 2028 at this point is what it looks like. <laughs> he the, says uh, he's going to South Carolina. Is that legit? He is he does he have to know. say that or or is he no, done? He may. No, I mean he may he may he may feel that that's his you know that's his last chance there, and, and he owes it. So he may feel that he owes it if he's, if he's got money in the bank if he's got campaign money in the bank. He may feel that he owes it to supporters and he to keep to keep trying through that. And that's fair. I mean, it's not, you know, it's listen, there are not there are not a ton of DeSantis supporters who are going to suddenly say, ah, Nikki Haley's my gal. Oh, no. You know, uh-uh. that's, uh, no. And, and th- th- those two camps are very, very different parts of the party. Um, very much the uh, if, if you, if you would, echoes of the distant past, if you want to think of the Rockefeller Republicans versus the Reagan Republicans. And 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 so. That's a they they uh, they don't like each other very much and and I just don't unfortunately you know for those of us who are hoping that we could avoid a rematch uh, that um, uh, it looks like uh, you know this, it's going to be very difficult to stop Trump at this point now it may be some force majeure from the outside puts an end to it which is another reason maybe for 
for DeSantis to stay in, pending what happens with the trials, pending what happens with Trump's trials, what happens with states trying to take him off the ballot and so forth. There may be some – he may feel that there's some some reason to stay in, if only because of that. So uh, – but, it, it, you know, assuming things kind of proceed the way we think they're going to proceed, it, it looks like it's, uh, um, you know, Trump versus Biden. I, I think the Democrats – Honestly, I don't think this is I don't think this is a head fake. I think they're really concerned about Biden's ability to get reelected. Uh, they should be. The polling isn't good. The polling has every single one of the, the legit GOP contenders beating him. No one beats him more than Haley beats him. But they all come out ahead in the most recent polling. And this is after his epic speech that he gave remember that on january the 6th and in depending upon how you view him either it was one of the great speeches of all time or it was this dark doomsday sort of fear fear gendering and gendering sort of speech here and he just cannot seem to get any traction well his politicization of the justice department i think puts a puts a very dark cast over all of that uh I, you know some of us see the you know, that he can continue to attack democracy in the name of democracy, I suppose. Uh, and that's that's a, that's a real worry. You know, how, how much longer does does the country, uh, can can the body politic deal with the the politicization of of, of national law enforcement? Uh, and that's a real that's a real worry that it distorts our our political uh, you know our, our, our sort of political psyche. At a time when things are kind of dicey to begin with, so I, I think there's a real fear that 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 that, that, that if that continues, it becomes difficult for for an opposition party to function. Uh, not you know not that the Republicans disappear in two years, but that it just becomes difficult for to to contest an election nationally. Uh, that's a real that's a real problem. Um, but I I I think to some extent. Uh, Trump's lead in the polls is a function, to some extent, is a function of the fact that people, many of the people who say, yeah, I might support him, uh, don't, haven't really visualized him being back in the White House. Now, they, they, they really, it's not, it's not real. And as it becomes more real, does his support, oh, know. You know, does, can, can his support withstand that? So that's that's um, I guess we're going to find out. It, it just doesn't help. And I want to shift gears locally here with the last few minutes we have with you. But it just does not help. The more times Biden shows up looking frail, uh, slow, lost, mumbling words out. I mean, that's and that's not me saying it. I mean, there's a who is it? Uh, what's her name that has that um, podcast? Honestly, or yeah, honestly with. Uh, oh, God, she's a dem. She. I'm going to forget about it. Is that Jen Psaki? No, it's not Jen Psaki. But but more and more of them are like, listen, I'm super concerned. And she played this clip of just within the last week of three different little snippets. And it's like, holy smokes. And I think that the left is going to get freaked out here. That It's not just that he's going to lose. They'd be pissed about that anyway. It's to whom he's going to lose that makes them super. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss. She has oh, this. Po- oh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she in her latest episode, and I listened to her because she's pretty thoughtful. Um, and she, by the way, gave a great speech 
at the Federalist Society about um, October the 7th and the importance, and, and by, by the way, how the left has kind of turned its back on Jews and Israel and all this other stuff. It was a great, great speech. Anyway, uh, more and more of them are freaked out by this. I, I don't want to lose time, though, to ask you. Locally, here in Colorado, we saw something we've never seen before, which is two things. And we're gonna, I think we're going to have Dave Williams on at 8 o'clock, and we'll continue to talk to him about this stuff, too. But we see the state party chair announce that he is going to remain the state party chair while running for a contested primary for CD5 for Doug Lamborn's seat. And then yesterday, or Sunday, in advance of the Iowa caucuses, the GOP Central Committee voted to endorse Trump in advance of the primary. Uh, we're part of, I think, Super Tuesday now. Any thoughts on any of that stuff? Does it have an impact? Does it matter? What are you seeing? Yeah, I think um, I, I don't know in terms of the bylaws whether either of those things is a direct violation of the bylaws, although it appears that uh, I mean, there may be a way of interpreting uh, uh, Section 3, subsection C, I think it is. I think I looked it up uh, in terms of endorsing candidates, endorsing candidates in a contested primary that the state party is not supposed to do that. Now, whether that it, it doesn't extend to the um, uh, it doesn't extend to the presidential level or because there was no because there's no convention, then then that, you know, this is not because it doesn't. There's no caucus process for getting on the ballot for the presidential primary. Uh, does that not does that not count? I mean, you know, there may be a way of interpreting that. I think it I, I think it does two things. Number one, I think it makes it very difficult to believe that there's a that there's a fair process. But number two, it undermines the whole the whole effort to keep Trump on the ballot. Uh, if if the argument is well, we're doing this just for the integrity of the process and the fact that we have a right to determine our own candidates. And then you and, and then you throw your your weight behind the guy that you're trying to you, the guy that you're trying to keep on the ballot in a contested primary, it begins to look it undermines the uh, the legitimacy of the argument that you're making in the lawsuit, and understand that the lawsuit is not just about winning in front of the court; it's also about winning in, in terms of public opinion, and so it makes that more difficult in terms of Dave uh, announcing for CD5 and staying as party chairman. I think it's a terrible look. It's a terrible look, especially making an announcement using the party mailing list and then at the email list and then at the bottom of the thing saying, well, we'll continue to ensure that there's no, you know, we'll work to continue to ensure that there's no favoritism. Well, there are processes for that, but there's, there's no reason. There's, there's, if you're going to contest something, there's no, there's no reasonable way that, that, that you can do that and have it look like it's fair. And it's just it's a yeah. it, it even even if that's his intention to use the party email list to make that announcement as party chairman, it just it, it, it just tough. completely gets off on the wrong foot. I'm it's sorry. Tough. And he's going to have an answer for you. He'll have a chance to. to, to oh, and, explain, and we talked with know, Dave about I'm it wrong. when he made the announcement. That's and we'll fine. see what what the feedback has been but, thus far. Josh Sharf, I took you along again just because I, I love talking with you and hearing your thoughts on all these things. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. At any time. We'll have you back on. I, th I think it's probably next month or something like that. That's Josh Scharf with the Independence Institute. You can read his great writing there at Complete Colorado, page two. We're going to cut away for a break because I've jammed us. Uh, when Kelly comes on into the earphones, in the earphones, you know you've done something wrong. So uh, let's cut away for a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this segment. Hopefully we'll get a little D-Will in the 8 o'clock hour. It's George Brockler, 710 KNUS.
George Brockler back with you here, 710 KNUS. Final moments of the 7 o'clock hour. My thanks to Josh Scharf from the Independence Institute for staying so long with us, trying to talk about so many things we've missed since having talked to him in the last year. Hopefully, David Williams, in the 8 o'clock hour, we have him on the schedule for a regular visit. Uh, I want to tell you about Gay Ribble and the Empower Home team of Keller Williams. If you're out there right now, it's cold, you're inside, you've got the kids, you look around and say, I need a bigger house, or maybe the kids are out of the house and you need a smaller house. Uh, you don't have to navigate those waters by yourself. You can check out the the geniuses, the experts at sellwithcertaintycolorado.com, sellwithcertaintycolorado.com, or give them a call at 833-301-SOLD. Only that number, 833-301-SOLD. That's spells sold. Uh, Gay and her team have been putting people in the right homes for the right price forever they have more experience than others sell faster on average than others sell for more on average than others gay ribble and the team at sellwithcertaintycolorado.com hey listen that does it for this segment uh, we're going to come back chair of the state gop scheduled to be on his name's david williams he'll update us on everything it's george brockler 710 can you can you Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com